Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, from Chicago, surviving yet another storm today. And with us always is our regular crew. First off, we have Gally. Gally, what's happening, man? Surviving yet another terrible international break. Um, there, uh, I got a lot to talk about Turkey's game today, but don't worry about that. I already did another podcast for like 20 minutes. So, uh, also with us is Bickler. I was expecting a lot larger uh, pumpkin selection for this week, knowing you have to get into a pumpkin patch and stuff. What we got going? I mean, I could go get them. They're over in the corner. Uh, <laughs> I'm in a I'm in a fine mood. I don't give a shit about international games, so I'm uh, I'm doing great. Ah, uh, yeah, we'll get to the international games. We'll probably like, touch up on those. They're more kind of a nuisance in some ways. I don't know. At least for me, I'm becoming more and more uh, club over country over time. As I get older, somehow I'm getting more cynical. So speaking of cynical, let's start with our trivia section. I have a really dark one this week for you guys. Um, so with the Newcastle, the Newcastle ownership, which will, you know, uh, we'll talk a lot about because I kind of want to. It's been like a huge topic during this international break, probably more than the international games themselves. But so as a trivia, <laughs> I was like thinking about this. This hits home uh, close to Turkey a lot more. But so how many guys does the new Newcastle owner have to send to Turkey to torture, kill, and chop up a journalist? The closest number wins. Allegedly. Oh, allegedly. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but actually, this it's not allegedly. The guys were there. <laughs> that has been proven. Allegedly, he doesn't. He is not aware of this. Uh, but he claims he didn't you... know what happened. <laughs> yeah, it just happened to happen to a guy that he didn't happen to like. But uh, the correct answer. I don't know if you guys are gonna get this. Was 15. 15 is the correct answer. A plane, small plane full of people sent over there. Hey, there's the pumpkin. But no, seriously, let's go to a lot lighter and easier uh, trivia for this week. Uh, First of so all, I mentioned no easy trivia to Moochin, as <laughs> no, has is... been proven by our last about 150,000 podcasts in which me and Paul get zero trivia questions right. There are none that are easy. Uh, this is easy. So easy, you guys might even get it. Uh, so with the penalty... Uh, that Turkey won with today in the 97th win minutes in a very Turkish fashion. Uh, the whole World Cup qualification has been very Turkish. If you're not familiar with Turkish football or doesn't don't know what it feels like to be a Turkish uh, football fan, there you go. Just follow this World Cup qualification. It's a, like the the entire life in a nutshell right here. I've been suffering with this for 47 years. So with that penalty, I kind of figured I'd dig up some penalty numbers Number of most penalties scored by a Liverpool player. And the highest of our current players. So it's a two-part question. And go. Uh, Paul, obviously, we're starting with you. <laughs> Goes without saying. Yeah. No, nowhere to go but up, right? I mean, <laughs> all right. Replete, please repeat the question. Replete. Number of penalties yes. converted. As a Liverpool player, the top one is I what I want, and also out of the current players, the highest one in that list. So, I mean, I would assume that the hot, the highest at the club has got to be Gerard, and then out of the current players on their international team, is that right? Uh, no, the current team out of them, who ranks the highest? If Gerard is one, who's the highest out of the current squad? There are no oh, word games, man. Don't pick up it's on It's got to be. Well, I mean, listen. Uh, <laughs> don't get smug, all right? We've been struggling <laughs> with this for for months, all right? Just because finally now our people are getting the seat in person. You don't act like you just started doing this. Exactly. Uh, I think uh, I mean I, I most seems like the obvious answer, but it's probably you got Milner in there who's taking quite a few. Fab's taking quite a few. Uh, I mean, I'll just keep it simple, which is probably stupid, but I'll go uh, Mo and Gerard. What do you have, Galley? 
number one and the top out of the squad right now. So I'm going to go Jared as well because I can't imagine anyone taking more over the amount of years he was on pens for Liverpool, but it probably is just because any trivia question that seems too obvious for itself is usually wrong. Um, and I'm going to go Milner. I'm going to go Milner because I think Milner was here for a good two years before Mo took all the pens during that time. And has taken quite a few since Mo's been here. So I'm going to go, and he's only missed one ever. Um, so I'm going to go Milner and Jared. Well, see, I told you guys it was easy that even you guys would get it. So this week, because after all the complaining and whining last week, I figured I'd go with an easy one. So it is Gerard uh, as the number one. Uh, total goal scored is 47 with penalties. Uh, out of the current team, it is James Milner. With 19, uh, Mo has 17 right now, so you would think, hopefully, by the end of the season, uh, Mo would take that over. But I gotta tell you, that was not that painful. I listen, I gotta tell you, I appreciate the sentiment, but it feels like like free pizza in the break room during employee appreciation week. That's what this feels like. Like, thanks, (laughs) thanks, but it's not enough, right? Which, by the way, basically means we get mediocre food. Yep. On cheap dollar on the company, which basically means that you gave us a layup just to feed us shit. Yeah. So thank you for starting the show off well. well I we really just want you to change the culture around trivia. That's all we're asking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Or something. I just can't win with this trivia. So, okay, let's go back to our initial trivia of how many people does a new Newcastle owner have to send to Istanbul? <laughs> torture, kill, and then chop up a journalist so he can be taken out in pieces. Uh, Correct answer, if you missed it and you're just joining us, is 50. Uh, Playing of 50 people is required for this task. So, gentlemen, this week, probably the biggest story in football, definitely the Premier League, is this dude with all the money uh, has bought Newcastle. Uh, So there's a lot of, like, different things to talk about this. Um... But let's get your, your guys' initial reaction first. I feel like there's almost like an overreaction in some ways to not the fact that of like who bought it and stuff, but more about this chart in terms of like the money involved and stuff like that. But, uh, Bickler, so let's start with you. Or you know what? Uh, you already scared me before the we started recording with the podcast. <laughs> so let's start with Gally because I know Bickler is just going to run with this. Gally, let's start with you. Uh, what is your like initial reaction to it? I mean, either way, like how it affected you when you heard it, whether it's money or the league's future or the, you know, where the money is coming from, all that kind of stuff. What's your take? So I wasn't comfortable with it in any way, shape, or form. Um, from the human rights standpoint of what these people have stood for, uh, things that they've done in their country, things that they have gone on record as saying that they are against happening in their country, like progression of women, free speech amongst their people. Um, there are things that I just philosophically have issues with. All that said, when we put it on a sport mentality, I'm one who thinks that this is a big deal. Um, I believe that this will, over time, actually impact the landscape of the football that we've watched. And, you know, I know everyone will have their own opinion on this. I've read people say, oh, now they'll win an FA Cup and celebrate like they're big-time champions. I will ask anyone to point out an instance where major money was invested into a professional sports team that didn't lead to on-field success. And I think it's hard to find one, whether it's City, whether it's PSG, whether it's Inter Milan, whether it's AC Milan. They may be short-term, but they usually lead to success. And the biggest key here is these people have actually – Um, they have more money than they need to be successful. What I say about that is, is that last, that last image you showed, they have 10 to 20 times as much net worth as any other professional sports organization out there. 
Therefore, if they want to invest their money into being successful, they will be. So I think that has to be taken as a serious thing when it comes to sporting argument. So, Paul, uh, let's get your take on this. I mean, to go back with what Galley is saying, I do agree that the, the money, especially like the high peak money, will eventually bring success and it will be more than that. I mean, the biggest argument against that is you look at this list and we're not even freaking on there. Uh, but, you know, there are teams over there that really don't have that much success to kind of like show for it. Uh, what is your take, Paul? Oh, boy. Here we go. So, <laughs> first of all, I think that Newcastle has been out of the conversation for a long time. And that's bad for football because it's a yep. storied, it's a storied club with unbelievable fans, and it deserves to have proper ownership. So to have Mike Ashley out of the picture, I can understand the joy that surrounds that. In I'm hopeful that they have a new future. However, that being said, this is the worst possible case scenario, in my opinion. I am – there are two things that I find really intriguing about this. A, to me, the Premier League as an association completely has blood on their hands. Second of all, I find it very interesting that the reaction to this is in nowhere similar to the reaction to the Super League, and it should be, if not more so. So we've dealt with the Abramoviches of the world, right, I mean, we've dealt with people with money often coming into money through not the cleanest of ways. We've dealt with Abramovich. The Cinderella story in the Champions League right now is a team that's founded by XKGB that's gone mobster, who's essentially funded uh, a team through match fixing, uh, drug trafficking, and gun running across the Ukrainian border. Those are all the, that's. That sucks, man, and that, that's bled into the game, and that's what football has become. But this, to me, is a new line. This is a new level because we have the Premier League in one hand sitting here as the associative constructor of the best league in the entire world, in my opinion, in football. They want Their points of emphasis are to grow the women's game, to embrace the LGBT community, and, then and for basically freedom and equality across the board. And now you allow a country who doesn't allow women to drive, who openly persecutes homosexuality, and who publicly or privately executes journalists who speak out against the state to own one of your most storied franchises, clubs, teams in your league. And it all comes down to money. And the bottom line is they got stacks of suitcases put in front of them. They no longer wanted to sink money into funding uh, my, uh, money against the, the lawsuit that Mike, Mike Ashley was like having this legal fight with them for the last three or four years. And they no longer wanted to deal with funding that, that sort of situation. And they just they, they decided, you know, their, their excuses after three years, you know, essentially three years of putting this off, we have enough evidence to support the fact that a public investment fund that's purchasing the club is not the operating state of Saudi. Bullshit. Bullshit. If you had your stance for three years and all of a sudden that's changed, it's because an extra suitcase full of money showed up and you didn't want to pay to deal with Mike Ashley anymore. And I'm sorry, it's bullshit. Like you can't sit here and tell me you're concerned about the league and you want to listen to all the teams involved about the Super League and that was because of all the other teams that didn't want it, you brought it back. When you made a unilateral decision to bring in the country Saudi Arabia to own a, uh, own a club without, without any sort of consultation on any of the other teams who are all completely against it for good reason. And to me, I'm not worried about Newcastle owning a – like Saudis coming in and owning Newcastle and making them a perennial contender because they can inject all that cash in. I'm concerned about all those other human rights issues, about the LGBT community. What, we're, what kind of message are we saying to the rest of the world for football in general? It's supposed to be the people's game. This is not that move. It's I'm sorry. It pisses me off. Like to me, this is a ridiculous to, and I'm so I'm so frustrated and upset by the reaction I see online about the wrong things. Who fucking cares if they're challenging for titles? Who cares? 
Like that's part of the game. New teams get new owners with money. That happens. All the other shit matters. And like, to me, it's like for the Premier League to allow this to happen is absolutely like, I just throw my hands up, man. Like I'm like, I don't know what else to say. I'm kind of at a loss for words. And I just said a lot of them. I think it's that's like the confusing or the frustrating part is that I see a lot of talk over this past week and a lot of discussion and it's all about the money coming in. Are they going to buy titles, blah, 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 and stuff like that. What we were kind of like already headed that way and we're going to go that way. There is no way around it. And I kind of like brings me back to a lot of like the FSG conversations we have that, you know, there is a certain fan base that is against, you know, what FSG has done. And some of them, obviously, most of them, they have had to backtrack on based on the response they got. That doesn't fit like Liverpool and the city and like, you know, the overall ethics of the club and stuff. But there's another group that's only against FSG just because they want somebody who's going to spend a lot of money. And they really don't care about all the other stuff. And this kind of like what you're saying, Paul, is, you know, that's what scares me. A lot of people are like, whatever. Like, it's almost like, and I understand you know, a lot of people who made a lot of money have probably some kind of stuff that's not so ethical to kind of like add money on top of money and stuff. But we're talking like a totally different category. But weren't we already here with, you know, PSG and City and stuff? This is almost like a more extreme example, Yali. Yeah, well, it, it's an example of one that is 10 times the size. And like everyone talks about like, oh, this is just another, you know, Newcastle is just finding new, you know, Saudi money or oil money to be invested in. This is so much bigger than that. They are literally 10 to 15 times the size of the group that owns City. They have done so much worse in the political landscape and the overall just human rights aspects of things. They've almost stood up for what they believe in and everything they believe in strikes against everything that I feel the Premier League and Paul just alluded to is standing for. And that is where I have the problem here, the hypocrisy of the Premier League, how they are getting and into supporters and right. And, and just in their supporters. Now I almost take the supporters out of it. You know why? Because I believe we're the greatest supporters in the world. I genuinely believe that, right? Yet for every argument we have, we get in a fight with these FSG out folks who wanted to tell us how the, the Super League was going to destroy English football, right? They wanted to fight about wrangling down the Super League and all the terrible things FSG was going to do by investing in this or using a dollar's worth of the pandemic funds to furlough employees, right, in England. Yet now we're listening to the Premier League admit that they will sell their souls against their race relations, against the LGBT community, against the female game purely to get Mike Ashley out of the business model. And it's just ridiculous, guys. Like, it, it's it's asinine to even believe. And, you know, David can tell us who the first three signings are for Newcastle, and I understand it. I, I kind of argued against some of the Liverpool folks. I, I read a lot of people say, oh, they're going to be a mid-table fodder, and I didn't even really care where they were going to fall in the in the table with all the issues that were coming up, the truth of the matter is they're going to be good because they're going to sign players who want to play for them and want big wages. They will win because they will get a big manager to come play there because, or come work there because they will get someone to take eight to $10 million a year. They'll become winners the same way city became a winner. PSG became a winner. Inter Milan became a winner. But at the end of the day, those Newcastle fans, I understand why they believe that they want to, that they can hold their nose, but I don't believe at the end they will actually be able to do it when they see the actual track record of the people in which. See, yeah, I think a lot of people will not care. I mean, the same way that we have seen. And that that's kind of like my point. And like David Cosgro was, you know, like alluding to, we already had this in the Premier League. 
And I understand what you're saying, The you know, with the money behind they're bringing and maybe they have a worse record. But it's not like these owners have like a great record for this. And they're like other teams. So we already opened the door. How do you then shut it? I think it's too freaking late. I mean, if I'm a Newcastle fan, I'm going to be like, yeah, at least, you know, your old owner sucked. This old owner might be doing some shady things, chopping up a journalist here and there. But, you know, at least we're going to have a good team kind of thing. And because, you know, the fandom sometimes kicks in. And like I say, I even say it with Liverpool fans, let's not fool ourselves. A lot of the, you know, the fans you follow, you know, you read it online, they sometimes are against FSG and they're okay with it being replaced by an owner like this, right? I mean, I read it a lot. As long as somebody <laughs> signed the checkbook, they don't care where the how that bank account is being formed in the background. Then those so, I mean, Paul, I guess that's my thing. And not that I'm agreeing with it, but this is what I do to get you guys even more yeah. pissed off. Uh, and who better to piss off than Paul? I mean, isn't like the door already open, Paul? They're just like walking into like an already open sliding door. And how do you close I think, it? Once I, think it I think it's, I think, yes, the door has been cracked and now kicked open. But I think the Saudis owning it is different than the city group. Completely. Because the public investment fund is 100% Saudi Arabia. No matter what anybody tries to tell anyone, it is 100% Mohammed bin Salman. 100%. He's the chairman. Like, it is it is Saudi through and through. Like, it is that country. And I think David's point, David Point makes a really good point in his last comment of this one. But the one where he says, like, you know, they're going to do a big PR uh, push behind it, donate some money to Newcastle charities and all be forgotten. Look, sports washing is a real thing. Like bad people use sports to endear themselves to the public all the time. Go all the way back to 1936 and Hitler hosting the Olympics. All the time, people use sports to endear themselves to the public. And if you're a Newcastle fan, enjoy being rid of Mike Ashley, but understand that, you know, almost everybody right now has somebody in their life they care about that's gay. And if they're in that country, would be dead. Like, I mean, like people just don't like those things have to come home and sink in your heart for anything to change. Yeah, I'm with Paul there. And, you know, I I have someone very special. I mean, my sister's, you know, is a lesbian. My she has a wonderful wife. I have two wonderful nieces and nephews and they're amazing people. And they're raised by two of the greatest people in the world. And I found out when I was 10 years old. And you know what I did? I kept it quiet for seven years. Because I was worried about how it would be deemed towards me. Because I was her little brother, and all she wanted was me to keep it quiet. She'd hate me right now. Luckily, you know, she's not one of the 150,000 people watching right now. But she, she genuinely would be frustrated with me right now for sharing it because she's a private person. But I can share it because it's affected who I am and the person I've become. And she's allowed me to share that. So for all these people that I argued with on Facebook about FSG and the ownership and the buying, right, and the power, they called out the Super League. They hammered on them. They won more. You know, how many more times can I see a meme with a bad John Henry apology, right? We're never going to have to apologize because our owners are on the wrong side of civil rights. But we'll hear our own supporters argue that they're on the wrong side of spending. Yet they'll defend the fact that Newcastle supporters should be excited about this because they've waited long enough for a winner. There's something about winning the right way. And then there's something about operating under a cloak of suspicion and danger. And that's what's happening here. We're, we are at a precipice where the largest and most powerful league in Europe is allowing people that eight to 10 other leagues have deliberately kept out. You realize these guys have been trying to buy major football clubs for years and leagues have kept them out. But this league is so adept at making money. They genuinely don't care. So Boris Johnson will go up on the news and he can talk about two week COVID plans. He can talk about support. He can talk about Brexit. But what they're basically doing is, is bringing in some of the worst business owners to ever come into England. And they're going to end up putting them on a pedestal that allows them to be something great in that country. 
which is even scarier. They're supporting it. Yeah, and I think that's I'm always more amazed that it was done so blatantly, to be honest with you. I more expected to be, you know, oh no, no, I don't own them. I just happen to own like some shares in them, kind of thing, like a investment group, yeah. like FST or something like that, that they formed. And it was the kind of like an extension of them. I didn't realize. I didn't think they. You, didn't make you it mean so public obvious. investment fund isn't super discreet? <laughs> just like I just did not understand that part. I agree with Bando. He says the problem is people will block out the reality of the situation because sports are supposed to be an escape from all the terrible stuff that happened in real life. And I agree because I think people, when you bring out this discussion, people are going to be like, "Oh, I don't want to talk all that stuff. I just want to talk yeah. soccer." And stuff, but it's kind of like part of the ordeal. But the sad part of it is the sad truth about it is, I guess, and that's what I'm like more and more realizing as I follow this stuff. And it's been happening over the years. Don't want to sound like a old fart here, but this is the way. Sadly, this is going uh, where the sport is going to be all about money as it gets more professional and professional. You're just going to see more of these than uh, less of these. And like I say, the door is open. So now, like Paul is saying, it's kicked open. Anybody can run it now. And how are they going to say, nope, nope, not you, though, when the guys inside partying are, you know, chopping up people. So how will yep. this change Premier League in the long run? Or I guess soccer in the long run. I know it's going to be negative, but all the dark stuff comes from you, Bickler. We'll go with you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it just changed. Like, I mean, you've already touched on it. Like, I think that basically anybody can come in and buy a club now. Like it, you know, the funny thing about that is, is it's not going to keep the Premier League from trying to stop somebody who they don't think is either going to line their pockets well enough or, you know, they want to try to keep out. And that's the real sad thing is like, despite this whole ordeal, it doesn't take away the Premier League soapbox. Watch what happens when the Super League comes back because the Super League will come back. It will come back in some form and the Premier League will get all up on there and talk about, um, you know, being inclusive and, and all this stuff. And in the bottom line is it's just like, it's just like FIFA. It's just like the FA. It's just like all those guys that sit in Switzerland. Like it's all about whether they're getting paid out or not. And I just, it's, uh, it's a fucking shame. It's, it, it's, it's, it's so dirty to me. And it makes me so mad because like, we got to sit here and listen to them puff their chest out and, get self-righteous um, when they think the time's right to do so. And it just, I, uh, I don't do well with that kind of hypocrisy. What do you think, Gally? I mean, it's kind of hard to be optimistic of the future of the game as a whole and stuff like that, just because, like I say, I don't know, it's the old fart of me, but I just see this like getting more and more as opposed to less and less. I mean, we kind of, you know, PSG, City, I mean, before then, obviously, Chelsea, uh, you know, Paul alluded to the team that's pretty much <laughs> the Russian mafia brought to the field. Uh, so, like, what do you think? What do you say? Well, I mean, leave it to the Russian mafia to find and name a team sheriff to bring them to the field. You know, the law has the law has brought this team to, <laughs> to all of you. Now, if they can go ahead and keep beating Madrid, I will have no problems because I love laughing at people in Madrid. That's always fun. But in all seriousness, I think the biggest problem is the money. And everyone gets all up in arms about the money and where it's spent and how it's spent. But it's the control of the sport. And that's where I have the biggest concern. So... I feel that this will have a sporting impact on the league and people are like, Oh, I, I don't think they'll ever be any good. You know, they'll, they'll maybe win an FA cup in a few years. Now they can, you know, be the richest club in the championship. Everybody said the exact same things when the city group bought city. And then they went on to become ultimately the biggest powerhouse right now spending-wise and depth in all of club football outside of maybe PSG, which is another sovereign wealth fund. You know, people thought that Chelsea would never be good when Abramovich bought them because you can't just buy players. But when you get one of the best coaches in the world and then you get him four or five of the best young players and then you invest in a youth system, you find your way. 
And for all the people who think like you can't just buy a big club, Inter Milan was bought by a Chinese consortium. They spent money for two years and they stopped Juventus from winning a decade worth of Serie A titles. And they're going to win a second title this year. Now, two, three years from now, they probably won't win because they started selling off their top players and eventually another club will come along. I'm not saying Newcastle will go on to be, you know, the next Manchester United. But everybody talks about how just spending money won't win, right? But when Manchester United was the wealthiest club in England and spent the most money for 10 straight years, they won nine out of 10 titles. This is what happens all over Europe. It's happening in Germany. It happens in France. It happens in Spain. It's happened in Italy. It's happened here in England. So to think that Newcastle can't find their way into the upper echelon, can't fight their way into the top four, that's just ridiculous. It might take five, ten years. But these folks' number one concern is being the biggest wealth fund in the world. They've made it clear. They want to supersede. They've been trying to buy into top-level football for a decade. Because they want to be the next city group. They want to be the next PSG group. So this idea that they won't make Newcastle something before they sell them. And don't kid yourself. They will sell them when they realize how awful life is in Newcastle. But they will sell them. But they will also make them successful. And it's just something us as football fans are going to have to deal with. And I think when you, you know what I mean. Nick is saying like Newcastle can't spend a two hundred million and so you know stay within the guidelines. First of all, not, I think City has shown everybody that those guidelines are bullshit. It's actually not true. Newcastle, because Mike Ashley has actually not spent, and because of the TV revenue, Newcastle has three hundred and twenty million dollars to spend under financial fair play in January if they want to. I mean, here's the thing: when you have that much money, and like I say, I mean FFB is really. Kind of a joke. If City can get around it, uh, I'm sure uh, Newcastle will find a way as well. And yeah, I mean, when you're spending that much money, regardless of how stupidly you spend it, uh, eventually you're going to freaking bounce into or back into like a couple of good signings that's going to bring you some sort of success, even if it's not. I mean, it depends on how smart they will be. I think one thing City has done is, you know, get the coach and give him some time to slowly build with a ton of money, obviously, like with literally billions. But obviously, these guys can afford the billions. It's just a matter of will they have the same patience that City had initially with Pep, and they got to get a guy of that caliber, which shouldn't be hard with the money. Because uh, I know everybody says that, but once the money is thrown, kind of like FA, I'm sure a manager will be all over that. But, um, I mean, I feel like when you're spending that much money, you are going to get, obviously, some of the top players – and that will bring you some sort of success, even if it's not constantly winning titles or being a power, you know, powerhouse and stuff like that. But where do you see them, or how many years do you think, Paul, before we see some level of success from them? I mean, I guess we can start talking about it with this year because as of now, yeah. they're kind of in danger of you know being like relegated. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually really curious to see how this plays out, right? Because I mean, there's so much to building a club. You have to have the right staff in place. You have to have a management team that can put it together and have an actual vision. You have to have a uniform vision. Like to me, like I like you look at any team in the Chinese league and you can throw money at stuff. It doesn't mean you're going to have a good team. Right. I mean, like it's, it's going to be very interesting to see who they pick up and how it plays out, who wants to go there for a trundle money. Uh, I think, you know, with most things you talk about team investment and then like you look at us and you talk about like reinvesting in grounds and stadiums, like, to get people interested in Newcastle, they're going to have to build a new Newcastle. Like in general, like not a ton of people like consider the Northeast somewhere that you want to go and like hang out. Right. Like, so it's going to be very interesting. They're going to have to make that a bit of a destination outside of just the money. You look at PSG, Manchester clubs, those are all significant cities with big nightlife. I mean, Newcastle is obviously a big city with its own nightlife, but it's just a different, it's more of a blue collar city. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see at what they do. Um, across the board, uh, I'm I'm actually quite curious to see how this thing plays out. Honestly, with the money not being an issue, kind of goes back to what Dave was talking about, like in charities and stuff like that. I mean, they can do a lot of investments 
without worrying about is the investment going to pay off kind of thing and do a lot of things for the city. So in the long run, yes, yeah. it could be good for like the city itself. But is that how you want the money coming in, I guess, is like the biggest talking point. And I know, you know, like Nick is saying, you know, in terms of the academy and stuff, I think they will do that just because it's kind of like a way of uh, bringing in the money and showing the money for the bottom line and stuff like that. But I do not see. Uh, listen, the Saudis doesn't have, you know, he's going to be like patient with it. Well, here's the thing. Like. Nick is using words like asset and investment. Like this is not an investment for the Saudis. This is a dick measuring contest. They're going to throw it on the table. And like, it's not like, look, they're not concerned about growing players and how much money they make off them. They're not. Yeah. If anything, that would be like to kind of like weasel they were on FFP, sell it to a club that they given the money on the other side and things like that to kind of like make the numbers and the numbers, like the sheets balance. But I, I mean, that's kind of like the biggest thing I think that we'll let yet to see is will they have the same patience that the city owners had? Because yeah. I mean, this guy chops up a guy when he doesn't like him. So how many but, managers but are they going to chop fair, up? But to be fair, the city owners didn't have patience. They came in and they spent $350 million on Kolarev, Silva, Yaya Torre. They brought in Mancini. They fired Hughes overnight. They came in and went deep. They just made mistakes. They they signed Zabaleta. They signed Jekko. They signed Balotelli. They just kept signing every year. Where City got smart was was they realized if they really wanted to be sustainable and be great for a period, they needed a program. And that's when they hired Tashere, or however the hell you pronounce his name, from Barcelona, who basically was only hired so they could get Pep two years later from Bayern. And they put together a program together to make something special. Like, and I can see that happening. Like, they're gonna make, mis- they're gonna come in, they're gonna do a bunch of stuff, they're gonna make mistakes. You can make mistakes when you got that kind of money, right? I mean, like, you know, when you're city and you can buy 120 million pounds worth of fullbacks over two windows, like, you can, you can do that kind of shit, you know? Like, and so we'll see that. It's gonna be interesting. There's gonna be a lot of money and a lot of movement. So, I mean, the football side of it to me is interesting all the other stuff and our reaction and how we're how the football community in general is not more upset about it to me is, is not. And I, and I'm with Paul and I'll say this from a football standpoint, and I've been making this argument for, I want to say two plus years now, long before when Mike Ashley was there, when everyone has made the argument about where Steven Gerrard should go next, I have always screamed the Premier league job that screams Steven Gerrard is make Newcastle relevant. And then you're ready for a big club. That's the step out of Scotland into a big club with a big fan base and a big stadium. Make them relevant. Put a brand on them. I hope I'm wrong, but I believe they're going to throw a shit ton of money in his way and make it hard for him to say no. You know why? Because one thing you need when you need a player to come to the north, you know, to that area of England to live and play is you need a manager in which they believe in. If you want a Koulibaly to leave Napoli, you need someone they believe in and someone up top. And they're not going to get Zidane Zidane to come out of his, you know, pseudo retirement to coach at Newcastle. It's not going to happen. Right. But a guy like Steven Gerrard might believe that's his spot. And if he believes there's money behind the project, I hope he doesn't do it. Because I would have loved him at the Mike Ashley Newcastle. Because if he was at the scrappy Newcastle, he would have built them into something I'd be proud of to watch play. But I don't want them to sign four or five young players looking for big money or three or four has-beens like a Coutinho and a Bale and folks looking for a last payday and have Steven Gerrard hang his success on that. But if I were him and they made the call, it would be hard to say no to not leave Rangers for that opportunity. If you thought there was going to be real investment, people actually thought he might go to Everton. If he was going to ever go to Everton and those Jamokes, he might head up to the Northeast. And, and I believe it might be where he ends up because I think it makes the right like progression step for him, but it will be terrible from the football standpoint, because let's be honest, if Mauricio Pochettino wins the champions league this year at PSG, 
anyone going to think he's a better manager than he was at Tottenham when he took that terrible team to the to the Champions League final? Probably won't. I know what you're saying, but I mean, maybe for Gerard, it's an opportunity, and you know, like he might not be able to say no. I really, I saw that, and I really do not see this group making that kind of a hire. I mean, I yeah. expect him to go get if it's not Zidane, somebody of that caliber, somebody big. Because I mean, you just mentioned like Colibali, for example. I don't think Gerard is a guy that he will want to go play for either. I mean, I we think a lot more highly of Gerard, I think, than the rest of the soccer world does, especially in management. Like, you know, um, Mick says, for example, Conte. I mean, somebody like that, somebody of that caliber, one that will attract world stars to go there and work for a manager and maybe not think about where the money is coming from uh, and just kind of like focus on soccer and stuff like that. But I just feel like if I'm these guys with all this money to be thrown around, I'm not putting Gerard in charge of that bunch. Because if you put all these world stars, you know, you see all these like, you know, memes and, you know, like FIFA lineups where they just like get got everybody and anybody as the starting 11 and stuff. I mean, if you're putting a team with so many big names, I don't know if Gerard is like the person to kind of lead that it would be a totally different story if he was at liverpool because he's so big in the city and means so much for the city and fans would have so much more patience and stuff like that but i don't think he will get that time and patience and stuff I like just that think they're going, i think they're going with the next player i don't think this will be a retread name this hmm. isn't going to be Carlo rolling in for a minute i think I, they're going to try to make a moment it's interesting i because i i I agree with Dimitri, and I think it's going to be a retread. Um, as far as Stevie goes, like I think he wanted some. I think he wants to manage football. I don't think he wants to manage egos. So, like to me, like I don't think, like I'd like to think he's principled enough that he wouldn't be interested in that job anyway, despite the money. But like I just don't like I don't see him wanting to go manage a team full of stars at this point in his career. Like I, I and like I agree. Like I with Dimitri, and I, I, I think it's going to be like. I do, like. I think it's going to be a retread. I think it's going to. Conte is a pretty good shout. Ancelotti is a good shout. Um, that like that's just see where I go. But that's what I mean. Where like this is going to be interesting because none of us we don't we, we don't really know it's what's like, going to happen. <laughs> we don't. We just know it's like people might die. Like like we don't know. Here's another thing. Like, do you want to be a manager and not be successful? You don't know if you're going to get chopped right. up or not. 15 guys coming yeah. in suddenly. Next thing you know. It'd be in the contract that all meetings are held at Newcastle. I am not flying out of the country. I love you this should, idea. This should happen in the consult in Istanbul, for God's sake. I, I love this idea. I love this idea. Ancelotti's going to leave a well-run Madrid team to go coach in Newcastle. Like, that's the type of thing. Like, that's the type of stuff that I don't believe this is going to happen overnight. This is a four or five-year window. They're not going to win right away. And I don't think they're going to – Conte wouldn't stay at Inter Milan because he didn't believe they were going to win the title this year. So he walked. Look, like, both those guys have made 30 moves, and they've all probably made weirder moves. So, like, we'll, we'll <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get, get we got people we bit. got people on our comments saying Graham Potter, this is where we've gotten to. A Brighton coach is going to be the decision. We have to I'm draw the line somewhere. At, we- I'm getting laughed at because Gerard might be an option winning at Rangers and coming back to the Premier League, and Graham Potter is an option from Brighton. I think Nick was just trying to bring us all together and agree on something so we can all agree that it's not going to be Potter. Yeah, I don't know about well, Potter either. I, like I say, but for the same exact reason. Personally, I would say Potter over Gerard just because of his Premier League experience, if you're just comparing those two. But again, I'm just saying, if I'm this owner that has billions all over the place and chainsaws to cut up people, I'm just basically picking somebody that's going to be have the because you can't put 15 players at the same time. Your first piece is going to be your manager, and I would make that manager top notch and then give him players as opposed to getting a new guy and then just giving him like billions of dollars of players. I mean, like I say, if I'm a prince, which hey, I should be, uh, that's what I would do. I agree with you. My, my point is, is I think these guys are going to come in trying to make a statement at first with the coach, because I think if they were really smart, 
they would actually try to take the extra money they have and be the right size club they are and and literally take a Borussia Dortmund model for the Premier League and try to buy the youngest and best talent around the world and put them on full display, sell and make money, turn things over, be a competitive winning team, but sell off. So when the next Jude Bellingham comes up, you buy Jude Bellingham. You don't let him go to Dortmund. When the next Holland comes, he comes and plays three, four years at Newcastle and you coach him up and you sell him to Real Madrid and you turn over and you win. That's That to me would make sense from them because they're never going to be a big club. But they can't afford to just go all in and buy a bunch of retreads and roll out a retread manager and think that they're going to be relevant in this league. I think that's going to take a long time because I do think the projects at United, Chelsea, City, and Liverpool are too far along. I I, I think they have to build something or they're not winning anything in this league, in my opinion. Wow. And I'll I, tell you I, what, from this point on, I'd be careful what the hell you guys say about Newcastle moving forward if you don't want to end up in pieces somewhere in Istanbul. So... <laughs> Just tread carefully there, Paul, especially I'm worried about you over here. Listen, honestly, given the last couple of weeks that I've had at work, that kind of shit sounds pretty intriguing. Like I, I'm well, cool to get like down. People, so. I'm cool to be on the bad side of a bond movie. Let's do it. Okay, let's try to talk a little bit about our boys and look ahead to the weekend. I figured this was a more interesting topic than the international games, even though Turkey's game was a blast to watch. Um, in in a sarcastic kind of way. So we're taking on what for this weekend. Um, let's start with you, Gally. What do you kind of expect out of this uh, in terms of lineup and the score? I mean, obviously, the international games kind of throws a curveball in terms of who can come back when and all that kind of stuff. But what do you have? Are we banking on the fact that uh, the Brazilians won't be available for the match based on the quarantine rules and the tran- and and the coming in? Um, obviously I think, you know, Kelleher is going to be in net and I believe that, um, Jordan will have to play the six at the base of the midfield, which I hate, but I do believe that will be what we have with that. I think it'll be a little bit tougher of a match. I still think we can pull it out. Um, one of my biggest concerns is, is the new news that Sadio Mane, that they may have to make a decision. Uh, with Sadio Mane, whether he travels back to England and plays against Watford and then won't be available for the Madrid match because he's playing in two red countries and therefore he wouldn't be able to travel to Madrid. So I really wish I knew what their plan was because I heard that they may have the Brazilian players go straight to Madrid so that they report to a camp there and therefore they could play midweek against Atletico. Um if that were the case, they may do the same with Sadio and send him direct. So now we're coming down to, you know, a really makeshift team against the Watford side that I'm not overly worried about. You know, you know, we were jokingly going to talk about our most surprising things. My most surprising thing was going to be that Watford waited till last week to fire their manager. Uh, I thought it would have happened at least five weeks ago. Um but with a Claudio Ranieri team, they're going to come out. They're going to play defensively. They're going to be set up to hit us on the counter. And we just got to find a way to pop one in the net and win one nothing. Honestly, that's my goal for Saturday morning. A 1-0 win by 9.30 Eastern. I think that's what I worry about is the fact that they do have a new coach and usually, you know, kind of like starts up a team a little bit. Uh, and, you know, and they have a good one at bats, which, you know, doesn't mean much to Watford. He'll be gone in no time. But, uh, Paul, what are you expecting out of this? Yeah, Jota was being sent back to Liverpool last night. Yeah, he's, not, he's, he's like very doubtful. I don't expect to see him. And this is kind of a scary game because Watford usually turns out for us for whatever reason. They haven't scored more than once in, like, but two matches in like last 10 for them. So they're not good offensively. Um, but it's such a thin squad when you take out the Brazilians. Trent's a question mark. Sadio's looking like a question mark. So like, I mean, I'm going to assume that Trent's going to push out for this. So like I've got Rob Overage, Matzep, Trent as your back line. Um, but then you've got to like, dude, is Tiago ready? He's got to be ready. So you got to push Tiago out. 
Tiago, I'm, I'm guessing like we're going to see like Hendo and the anchor would be my guess. And then you're going to see Milner and Tiago, which Oof. I don't love. I don't ever love seeing Milner and, Milner and Henderson in the same midfield, but I don't know what other options you have. I don't know if Nabby's ready yet. I don't know if like, you know, if we're going to see Kata again. Um, I'm definitely not putting Ox in over Milner. Like uh, as much as I love Ox, he's been off it the last couple of times he's been out there. Um, and then up top, you have like question mark on Sadio. I expect you'll see Salah up top. Like that'd be my guess. And then, um, man, dude, is this a Minamino start? It like, is. I, I was just going to say, Paul, I think this is our Taki start we've been calling for. Yep. He's earned it. Isn't Bobby yep. ready to go? He's Brazilian. Didn't he go? Didn't he travel? He I thought traveled. they didn't call him. No, he did. He got. He traveled. He traveled. Yeah. yeah that... and, 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 and I see Nick just made a comment, too. Um, yep. Curtis, Curtis was hurt with the under-19s. Um, yeah, that's why I had him out of that lineup. I, yeah. I do. I I think this is a I think this is like the Taki start. And I think he starts probably through the center, actually, with Mo playing out on the right and possibly even Divock on the left, as crazy as almost that like is. in a false nine, because we've done that with yes. Mamino before. Yeah. And we, I, we and played it, that we played him in a false nine. And it's probably where he probably belongs, kind of yep. in his role with this club. Um I, I hope he plays well. I, I do agree with Paul. I, I think it's one of those awkward ones. The one side, again, I, I say this every week, and, you know, Jurgen will never listen to me. I could see Shamika starting at left back because I genuinely believe, and anyone who watched that Scotland match the other day knows, um, Robo put in 150,000 minutes worth of effort in the 90-plus minutes he played, where he was the best player on the pitch in that Scotland match. And that Scotland match was insane. If anyone on this pod listening or watching us now hasn't seen it yet, go back and watch the excitement that breaks out in that stadium as they score, as McTominay hits the game winner. Um, it's unbelievable, the energy they have. But they're not going to rest him for a second. And I just, at some point, Klopp's going to have to look at the fact that every time he sends him away on international duty, he plays more for his country than he does for Liverpool. And I'd argue he plays more for Liverpool than anyone at our club. You know, I want to like, I want to sort of like bang on Scotland for running like Robo into the ground, but they make such good fucking whiskey. And we also do the same thing to them. So I can't. I was just going to say, what good is it banging on Scotland for the fact that our club has yeah, signed? We do the same thing to back him up and hasn't given him a break in five years. Dude, and I miss I miss Costas corners, man. I miss them. We score off them. Like I feel like I feel like the it's like playing NBA Jam when you're on fire. I feel like there's like an eighty five percent. I feel like there's like an eighty five percent chance that a Costas corner is gonna find somebody for a goal. Yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much like an alley oop to Sean Kemp. Yes, you're yeah. going to score. Oh, young audience. We should try oh, to rename him Gary right Payton and see if anybody catches on. You're either you're either you're either gonna score on that alley oop to Sean Kemp or you're gonna get a woman pregnant. But either way, Sean Kemp did well. Yes. Hopefully not well, underage Nick, like Carl Malone. Nick sums it up perfectly for me. Uh, I hate international breaks as well. I mean, it has been becoming worse and worse. But I'll tell you guys, for example, uh uh, Turkey's game today. You thought Scotland game was good. Turkey played a game where they have to win to keep their chances in. And they were down 1-0 after the 70th minute. Then they tie it up on the 95th minute a penalty where it wasn't a penalty. The ref is called to watch the monitor. This is the 96th minute when there was only four extra minutes added. And they score to keep their hopes in so that they can crush it in November. So for another month, the entire country will be hopeful and then we'll get crushed in November sometime. So, But that's what you look forward to if you're a Turkish fan in the international break. Another reason to freaking hate him on top of these injuries and everything like that. Well, gentlemen, want to do some score predictions for this weekend? I know Gally said 1-0. It's not good that early in the morning for my hearts. Uh, what do you have there, Paul? Yeah, I'll go 2-0. No. Damn, I was going to go with 2-0 too. I like 2-0. Hopefully it will be 
a little bit better. Nick says, if you want to watch Disappointment on International Pitch, watch Ireland. See, I think I'd rather have a team that doesn't get my hopes up like that in some ways. Like, if Turkey yeah, lost true. the first four games and then be like, you know what, I'd be like, whatever, I'll just watch it for the fun of it. When They just keep the suspense. It's like a bad movie. You know it's going to end, but you just keep going. You know, so it's – that's Turkey's It's all right. You could be the U.S. who pretends they're really good and then, like, <laughs> just does what they do. Yeah, you, uh, we have a few minutes if you want to throw in a, a lost to Panama rant here, Galley. Ah, it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> no, I'm serious. So, full disclosure, as most people know, you throw it out there. I'm from Massachusetts, right? So, I'm sitting here in Massachusetts yesterday. You know, I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm not going to hide that. I know the FSG out people, you know, automatically believe that, you know, the fact the Red Sox won a playoff game yesterday means that we're going to spend $50 million less next year on Liverpool spending. It has nothing to do with it. And just so you know, we picked nobody up either at the deadline this year, the Red Sox. They did absolutely nothing. But I'm sitting here in Western Massachusetts watching the Patriots just absolutely look terrible in Houston, and I hate the Patriots, so that was kind of fun. I got my wife getting ready for the Buffalo Bills about to play their biggest game in the year against the Chiefs, which they laid down the marker to let everyone know that they could win the Super Bowl. In between, I'm on this epic game, and then I am stupid enough to bring up the United States men's national team on my laptop, which I end up uber-focusing on. While I watch Greg Berhalter walk in circles, talk to himself on the sidelines, look like an absolute idiot. After the game, the guy actually walks up to the podium and says, well, I mean, Tyler Adams hasn't been playing much for his club. So I decided to start Jossie fucking Zardis. You're starting a guy from the MLS who isn't good enough to score goals for Columbus. Like, and you put a guy up front. You have an 18-year-old kid who's scoring goals at every instance that he walks on the pitch. All of Europe, including Bayern and Inter Milan, are trying to buy the 17-year-old kid. And your idea is to roll out a bunch of has-beens in Panama and then complain like the pitch was the problem. The pitch isn't the problem. The manager and the tactics are the problem. So we can go back to hating on Klinsman. We can go back to blaming everybody for why we didn't make the last World Cup. When the truth is, it's the federation, the program, and the setup. It has nothing to do with the talent. The players are there. They need a coach who understands tactics and can compete on a national level. And I'm not talking about a national level that competes in CONCACAF, who gives a shit about CONCACAF. Okay? All right. I'm done. Man, and right, well, the best part of hosting this podcast it's just Galio uses of the dynamite. Just go and just just let it pull. Galio Galio almost makes me like international breaks. <laughs> I know when I saw the final score, and I didn't watch the game obviously, but when I saw the final score, I was like, "Oh, this has to get him so heated." Have you I seen the goal? Like this have you actually seen the goal? Actually, I have not. Should I YouTube oh. that, Jim? Oh. oh. It will make you. It will make you believe Tim Ream must have been starting, because only Tim Ream at a center back would allow that goal. But then Walker Zimmerman proved he's just a younger version of a slow white Tim Ream. Wow, oh. this is great. That's the only reason to do it against us. Sometimes I think in the national game, so we can get this reaction. But I root for Turkey just to see your reactions. I- <laughs> See, this is why this is why I even don't do international breaks. They have three kids to be disappointed in. I, I don't need this There's kind a lot of stuff. to be said when Paul is the calmest and most laid say, back on about three. Think, <laughs> I think there was less stress with Paul with his three boys at the pumpkin patch yesterday than there was in my living room getting me through the one o'clock football to the Red Sox game three or four to the international break to the Bills game, which then needed an hour and a half freaking storm delay that has led me to the overtiredness that I am today. It's ridiculous. Well, if this is overtired, damn. I I wish we had a full-blown one. But, well, gentlemen, let's wrap it up for this week. Hopefully, we'll get together next Monday, same time. Talk about a Watford win and get ready for the Champions League, Premier League, back and forth. 
thank you for all those commenting, joining us uh, on live broadcast. You can also watch this again on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel, as well as now in our group in LFC America. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care.